All right, Norma, would you pray for our time in the Word? Good morning, Father. Thank you so much for this time together that we can come boldly to the throne of grace, Father God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're going to speak to us. Lord God, we pray that we will be a good soil, Father God. We pray that you will speak clearly to our heart, Father God. Father God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all your promises, God. We thank you that you are for us and not against us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are so awesome, Father. Yes, Lord.
Politicians lose their power when now to the old 
the world has a wondrous attraction for me. Trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a Trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a Jesus, for your great love, Lord. God, there's none like you, Lord Jesus. You are God and God alone. Holy, 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 Lord. There's nothing like your presence, Father. You're a good God. Your love endures forever, Lord. Oh God, may we fix our eyes upon you, Jesus. The author and the perfecter of our faith. You called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. That in you, Lord Jesus, we have all that we need. We lack nothing. We thank you, Father, that you were seated at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for us. We thank you for your promises, Lord, and your word that you would never leave us nor forsake us, God, that you know the plans that you have for us, 
plans to prosper us, not to harm us, plans to give us a hope in the future. So, Father, we say thank you. Oh, that we would be a grateful people. God, for those who are in Christ are no longer condemned, but we have been liberated, set free for the glory of God to go forth and proclaim the good news of Jesus, the resurrected one. So, Father, have your way among us and in us and through us this day. May our time of fellowship in your word and with each other, God, be pleasing unto you, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So community is what we've been talking about throughout the year. Two definitions. A group of people living in the same place are having a particular characteristic in common. The second one, a failing of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. So throughout the year, we have heard that over and over and over. My prayer has been for us is that we would grow with a desire to be in community with the body of Christ. As I've been encouraging us, Jesus is the center. He is the head of the body. He's the, the foundation of our community. And yet, though, there's multiple communities within the earth I've encouraged us and reminded us it is the church that only has the truth. And that when we have been delivered unto Christ, He didn't take us out of the world, yet He kept us in the world, and He's protecting us by the name that He has been given. He has called us to go forth into the world to be the light, to bear His image, to be His ambassadors. That we are people now not living of ourselves, but we have heard the call. And I shared with you a few weeks ago, I'm not sure if you really caught on to it or if it really hit you deeply to where it shook your foundations of the reality is the same call that he placed on Paul. The same call that he placed on the disciples is the same call that he places on us. And what is that call? Come follow me. The call of a disciple to deny yourself, to pick up the cross, and to follow Him. It's a new life. We are born again. Born again of a new nature. A nature that is now led by the Holy Spirit. It is a spirit walk. It's not to be walked out in the flesh, and that's why Paul writes to the church and tells them, what are you trying to do? To live out what you received in the spirit, in the flesh. It can't be done. He also tells the church, what are you doing? Oh, you foolish Galatians. Why are you following a different gospel than the one that in which you received? You see, we understand that the community of, of the church, the church in and of herself, those communities on the outside look at us as if we're strange. We're not living as the world lives. We're, we're, the, the Bible says that we have crucified ourselves to his cross, that the interest that the world will have in us, for us, is no longer, and the interest that we have of the world is gone. Because of the newness of our lives. The newness of our lives. That we are new creatures. 
We understand the flesh and the spirit, they're going to war against each other, as Galatians tells us. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And what you feed breeds, and what you starve dies. And we ought not to be feeding the flesh. Again, I keep reminding us that we have three enemies, as the word of God exposes to us. We have the devil. We have that realm in which we cannot see. Ephesians tells us we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and air and the darkness. We have the world system and we have our very nature, that old nature, that flesh. And all it knows to do is to die. And that's why it craves the temporal things of this world. But child of God, you are not to be craving the temporal things of this world. You are to be craving that which is eternal, Christ and Christ alone. He's returning for us. It is his kingdom. We have to be kingdom-minded now. We have to be as innocent as doves and wise as serpents, especially in this generation. And I'm so passionate to really encourage the body of Christ that we can't keep doing church the way we've done church. We have not produced disciples. We have produced apostates. we got a lot of people saying Jesus' name, but denying his fame. We've got a lot of people who, 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 who come and they, and they attend church, but once they leave church, they act as if they're not part of the church. And so there's a problem going on in our generation, but it ought not to take us by surprise because we're told We are told it is revealed to us what this generation would be and continue to come until he returns. It's going to be worse than the days of Noah. Evil is going to continue to rise. Deception. I keep encouraging you throughout this year. Listen, the spirit of deception is rising up all over the earth. And when you see the spirit of deception rise up, you see everything coming up with it. The occult. Perversion, strife, murder. I mean, we're entering into a generation and we're basically already in it where the love of many is growing to go cold. And the church were to be equipped for such a time as this. We're not to be running around, wallowing around like chickens with no head, scared, intimidated. No, no, no. We are purposed for now. For today, as long as you have breath in your body, you were purposed for this time. So how are we being good stewards of what we've been given to honor Christ and to make him known, to share the gospel? There's so many people clamoring, teach us something new, give us something new. (laughs) But there's nothing else to give you but the gospel. Paul himself even tells you, I'm going to keep preaching the same thing over and over and over. Because that's all we have. We're not looking for new revelations. How are we looking for new revelations when we even haven't grasped this revelation? This is all that we need. This transforms the life of one who has been renewed. This is the living word of God. From the beginning to the end, it reveals God. And the need for him. I keep telling us 
The church, the church community cannot seek to understand God or to know God. She cannot get her theology from the world. She cannot get her theology from the enemy. She cannot get her theology from herself. No, we need it from God. We need it from God. It's the living word. It goes in deep. And it draws out the junk. It leads us to repentance. It's his loving kindness that the word of God says that brings us to repentance. You see, again, as we've heard multiple times this year, it's not God stiff-arming us. No, we're stiff-arming God. We've got the wrong image of God. In the church. In the church. Do we truly fear God, do, do we have under, understanding of his presence and the holiness? Holy, holy, holy. We, we can't just act flippant. We can't just treat him as if he's common, as if his blood is nothing. As if it's just common and we just can just trample on it and splash it up on each other as if it's nothing. No, this is not who our God is. That's why he's called us to go forth. And I love it when the word of God reminds us that he's prepared good works for us to do. Good works for us to do. And he's prepared it even before the earth was formed. He knew you. He, he, he formed you. He, he planned you for such a time as this. And he's prepared good works for you to do in this generation. That's why this life and living in community, that we're to have unity and that we're to seek Christ and to know Christ and and to steward all that he's given us for the glory of Christ. Because this is the message that we have for others. Christ. Listen, I keep encouraging us. He cannot be the baby in the manger. He cannot continue to be on the cross and he cannot continue to be in the grave. No, he is resurrected. He's resurrected. And we ought to be preaching this gospel to ourselves before we go out to preach it to anyone else. Again, the, the, the kingdom of God is just not a lot of talk. There's a lot of people who can give you a good sermon. There's a lot of people who can tell you from front to back. There's a lot of people that can pray lengthy prayers. There's a lot of people that can be intimate in their worship. But they're on their way to hell. Because they don't know Christ. That is the greatest deception of all. That is the greatest deception of all. And we see that all through Scripture. And we're warned. We're warned in Scripture about the last days of all the level of the false gospels and the messiahs that are going to rise up. Because as I've been encouraging us, the world is preparing the platform for the Antichrist. But the church, we're preparing for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to return. So we're not shaken by what's going on out there. But oh, God help us that we are not deceived. But that we're rooted and we're grounded in Christ. Not in a religious form. I told you the saddest thing to know is that there's going to be people in hell for all eternity that had Jesus on their mouth but not in their heart. They weren't born again. They held a form, but by the way they lived, they denied him. 
And again, I keep telling you, that's the word of God. The word of God tells us not to stay away from the laws. We need to be among them to be the light. But the word of God does say, have nothing to do with one who calls themselves part of the community, part of Christ, and yet has no evidence in their life that there's no fruit coming from it. It's just a lot of talk have nothing to do with them who hold a form of religion. Why? Because they deny the power of Christ to transform an individual. And so we must wake up to the reality of what we're up against each and every single day, you all. Are you dressing for battle? Are you taking what you're hearing and applying it? Because James tells us you can't just be hearers of the word, you have to be doers of the word. If you're truly born again, like there is something new coming forth from your life. That those old desires, those old wants, those old needs have been crucified to his cross. And now how then shall I live God? I told you when I came to Christ, oh, I know the wretched man that I was. As I shared a few weeks ago when we opened up and looked at the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, the man of God, was standing, had a revelation. He was in the throne, before the throne of God. And he says, oh God, I'm doomed. And that's the reality for all of us. Is that apart from Christ, we are doomed. We are doomed. You see, I keep encouraging us that we need to see that we are enemies of God before we can truly receive the salvation of Christ. You see, that that position of humility, like, oh God, I know the wretched man that I was, and the wretched man I could be in and of myself. But when you consider the cross as uh, the cost, as Christ calls his disciples to, that's what I love about Jesus. He didn't mince words with people. He didn't change his message in order for people to follow him. He didn't dumb it down in hopes that they understood it. No, he's God. He knows his purpose. He knew the cross was set before him, before they laid him in that manger. He knew the realities of what he was to face. Why do you think he, he went into the garden and prayed fervently till the blood was dripping off of him? My God, my God, please, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But not my will. Your will be done. But he looks at his, this crowd of people and he tells them, consider the cost before following me. Because it's going to cost you everything. You see, the cross, the message of the cross, as we've heard over and over in Scripture, it's foolishness to the world. It's foolishness. But this is the message in which we have to preach. The cross of Christ. But we just don't stop there. Because the Bible also says that that's our only message. Then we're only, then we are fools. No, we've got to talk about the resurrected Christ, the one who not only took our punishment, 
but the one who defeated sin and death. That stone was rolled away, and that tomb was empty. And Christ is victorious. Christ is victorious. So, so, that, so no matter what situations or circumstances we find in our lives, if we are in Christ, we're not living out of a defeat. Living through his victory. So this is the community in which, if you're calling yourself a Christian, that you are to be a part of. A community that understands that we have been redeemed. That we are praying and living out of the victory of Christ. That we're not looking for a perfect life on this side of heaven. Because we know if they hated him, they're going to hate us. We know that we're going to go through and we must go through in order to grow and to mature. Because that's what trials come to produce in our lives to make us more like Christ. And so this is the hope and we ought to be encouraging each other in this daily. Now we're active members in the body of Christ. And we're just not just laying aside and sleeping or letting others do the work. But that we're all collectively doing what Christ has called us to do and utilizing the gifts in which he has given us so that ultimately Christ is glorified. The world needs to see the church living out the fullness of what Christ came and accomplished for us. Not everyone is coming to Christ, but everyone should see Christ among the church. Christ within the individual. We are to be his image bearers, his hands, his feet. There is a way in which we are called to live. And remember that standard that I keep reminding us of, and that's Christ. Remember the Bible tells us how are we to live like Jesus did. And yet too many are sitting in the church so consumed with themselves. So consumed with self and they ought to be consumed with Christ. Oh church, we got to wake up. We got to wake up. I mean the craziness that's going on out there. Again, we ought not to be cowering down because of it and we're not lashing out at them because of it. No, we're to go forth and declare to the captives that there is a way to freedom. And his name is Jesus because he came to set the captives free. Go to Colossians 3. Colossians 3 is where we're heading. Scriptures I've been giving us throughout this year in hopes to encourage us to live in community and to truly understand what it means to live in community. Colossians 3, verse 1 through 17. Living the new life. And Scripture declares, since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Now you understand there's work for you to do. There's action that you're to be doing daily. (laughs) Listen to what it says there. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Are you doing that? 
Because, oh God, if you're not, then what is your eyes set on? What are you looking at? What's defining you? But you're to set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So put to death. Again, action. You're to do. You're to do. We got to get over this weirdness. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard being a Christian. Who? It's hard if you're doing it in your flesh. If you're just holding a form of religion, trying to do all the works, trying to do this and trying to do that so you can be a good little Christian, well, then you haven't grasped the reality of the resurrected Christ. Because it's Christ working in us. The Bible says it's God working in us, giving us the desire, and not only the desire to do what is right, but the power. (laughs) Through the Holy Spirit, we've got to stop living lives grieving the Holy Spirit. We talk a lot about Jesus, but deny the power of God. We deny the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And we have to wake up to the reality that Jesus says, I have to go away so that he will come. He is your comforter. He is your guide. He is your teacher. And we can't get up each day just dragging our bodies through this day. Like you're making a mockery of the Holy Spirit of God. (laughs) The reality is, is that we need to understand that God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. So with that understanding put to death, what? The sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Remember, where does sin come from? The desires that are from within. He goes on, have nothing to do with sexual morality. And yet the church is confused nowadays on what purity is. In fact, they're mocking the movement of purity years ago that that swept through the church. And the church is apologizing for it. I'm like, what are we doing? What kind of nonsense is this? When the Bible is very clear, have nothing... To do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, what sins? The ones that we just listed. And every other sin. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. And yet the church has stripped God of his wrath. Yet, yet the, 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 the church in our generation doesn't even talk about sin, doesn't even talk about hell, doesn't talk about the anger and the wrath of God because we don't like to look at him that way. But the reality is, is that his wrath has been stored up and there's a day of coming. And why is it coming? Not because he's a bad God. 
No, because his creation is in rebellion towards him. And we are not to be numbered among those in rebellion. (laughs) The anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now, but now, when now, when now (laughs) is the time to get rid of anger. Rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and listen, become like Him. In this new life, It doesn't matter if you are a Jew or Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. Christ. Who? Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Since God chose you, you didn't choose God. God chose you to be the holy people he loves. Oh, circle that. Highlight that. You must clothe yourself You must. It's not an option. You must. And it ought to be daily. With tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Again, this is written to the church. This is a letter to the church and how the church is to be living among each other. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and that the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Listen to this. Let the message about Christ. Who? Christ, in all of its richness, fill your lives, teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives, seeing with thankful hearts, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Ah, do we hear this? This is how we're to be living. It's just not showing up and then going right back out and living however. No, if Christ, if Christ is your Lord and your Savior, you have submitted yourself to His Lordship. It's time to grow up and understand what it means to live a surrendered life. How am I to live daily? How is this applicable for me today? How am I putting on Christ? How am I growing in this new nature? He's victorious, you all. And he's called us to live in harmony with one another. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. Again, scriptures on living in community. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, 
You're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. That's the reality. And there's too many puffed up Christians. (laughs) Too many puffed up Christians walking around, snubbing their nose at others, pointing at others, carrying on about others. And the reality is, is they're the issue. (laughs) They're not that important. You're not that important. In the world and in our flesh, we want to be on the stage. We want people to notice us. Look how holy and righteous I am. Look what I'm able to do for the Lord. Look at me and my credentials. Right, Carrie? I'll pick on Carrie. I'll talk to you about Carrie's testimony. Carrie was bred in the church. She knew up and down, left and right. She was, what was the Bible drill winner? I went to state. She went to state. I have a trophy still. Trophies. And yet apart from Christ. Apart from Christ. I remember the first time I met her and started, you know, just getting to know her. And one night just asking her, like, what's your testimony? Like, how did you come to Christ? And she gave me a list of all of her credentials in church. And I remember looking at her and saying, Carrie, you told me everything about you, but you haven't once mentioned Jesus. Like, I'm concerned. And that offense came on her. (laughs) How dare he? But the reality is it finally hit her. And to see what God did in that instant has continually to do since that day. You see, God is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son, Jesus. But you have to love people enough with the reality is that something's off with what you're professing. We have to love her enough to be able to say, as I would anyone else, as I hope people would do to me if they see me going off track. But like, hey, wait a minute. Because that's the reality. That's the reality. And how are we to be living our lives? Thinking of others before we think of ourselves. How did you do well? Did you do well with that this week? See, that's how we're to be living our lives. That's how we're to be getting up. Preparing ourselves daily before we go to school, before we go to work, before we're just out and about and among all these other communities. That we're looking at them and we're considering them before we think of ourselves. And we've learned that because we've already do, we're doing that with each other. We're doing it here. We're learning how to put this in practice. We're stumbling. We're falling. We're like, oh, this is hard. But we have a body of Christ that comes around us and encourages. Get up. Get up. Keep moving forward. Look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Like, don't think you're better than others. That's a trap of the enemy. So you have to understand his tactics. If the church is going to, 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 to gain ground in this generation, it's not becoming like the world to win them. It's becoming like Christ. Humbling ourselves. And you know the world and even religious people are quick to say, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. 
And yes, he did, but he never changed who he was to appease them, to, to, to make them feel comfortable. In fact, when he hung around them, they came to him. So how are the sinners in your life doing? They ought to be seeing Jesus. And then it's, it's again, we know this. Either you're going to be a fragrance, a sweet-smelling fragrance of life to them, or you're going to be the stench of death. And just as they did Christ, they'll do to you. They'll mock you, they'll laugh at you, they'll beat you, they'll do whatever. But you ought not to get offended by it. And now it's poor you. No, it has nothing to do with you. It's all Christ. God, we can learn from the persecuted church and what they endure daily. And yet they keep going strong. They keep going strong because they know they're God. They know who delivered them. I keep telling you, I always bring them up because I, I, I always pray for them. And every time I think, I'm like, God, help us. Because they're so inspiring. These women over in India who live in the dump. Listen, in that society, they will never get out of the dump. Because of the way that country is structured and the class system. That's their home. There's no way out. And so what they do in the dumps, whether you're a Christian or not, is they take all the trash and they build these little pods to live in. Well, the missionaries have start going in there and these women are coming to Christ. Oh God, their lives are new. They are new creations. And instead of getting up every day being told by the world, you're nothing, you'll never be nothing. This is your resting place in the dump. They get up and they sweep their little pods. They get up and they create things. And all of a sudden, the other women are beginning to take notice. And now they're holding Bible studies within these little pods. God is in the move in the dump. And rescuing people. I say, God, come on. You can't make this up. This is the living God. And yet over here in the West, oh, he's not God because I can't make my rent. He's not God because my bills ain't being paid. He's not God because I got this report from the doctor. He's not God because of this and this and this and that. And we're up and down, left and right, in and out. But we must be consistent We must know our God so the upcoming generation can see that He is God. Instead of just turning them over to a dead religion. That they see the power of God at work. This is the church world. This is the community. Go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 16. James 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. The earnest prayer of the righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
And that's a healing of not just physical, but mental, emotional, like a whole healing that only Christ can do. I keep telling you all about freedom. I genuinely believe and encourage people, if you really want to be free, then be transparent first before God and then before man. You got nothing to hide. I don't care what people say about my past. I don't care what people want to hold against me. It doesn't define me. In fact, when people want to throw it up, I say, thank you, Lord, for reminding me. Keep me humble. Because, God, ultimately, it's the work you've done in me that I am not that person any longer. I can't change what other people hold. They're hurt. I can't change what I did to them. I can't change who I was then. All I could do is live out now who I am in Christ. In Christ. And there's something about coming clean with God and with others. And we ought not to be shocked what people are sharing with us. You see, it goes back to the other scripture. We don't think, we don't puff ourselves up, think we're better. No, open up. Be transparent. I told you about the man last week that I got a call on. I really didn't finish my thought when I brought him up to you, so I didn't want to just leave it out there. But I got a call about this man who, who exposed what he was wrestling with to his accountability group in the church. And that should be the safest place to do what the Word of God just told, told, told us to do. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. And instead of, of receiving what he was saying and coming along the brother and saying, brother, we've got you, we're here to support you, we're going to point you to Christ, we're going to disciple you into the truth of Christ, and we're going to see Christ in your life and give him a sense of hope for what's ahead for him. No, they brought him to the pastor and the pastor threw him out of the church. Because he was wrestling with homosexual thoughts. I said, God help us. When churches are embracing it, yeah. they're going to throw a man out who's saying, listen, I don't want to live this way. I want to live for Christ. But brothers, this is what I'm going through. And I told you when I first came to Christ and I went to churches just to try to connect with the body of Christ, pastors, the first few churches I went to, they were horrible to me. That pastor got up and said, get out of my office. You're nothing but of the devil. You're here to pervert the men of my church. What? Like the insults and the and the and the and the and just the words that were spoken to me. I could have got wounded. Poor me, poor me, poor me. But I knew what God did in my life. I knew it wasn't nothing I conjured up. I told you before I didn't have a problem with who I was. But when God reveals himself to you and you recognize, listen, I've said it before. It's just not homosexuality. I was a liar. I was a thief. I was an adulterer. You know, I was a gossiper. I was a backbiter. I was a, it's the very core of who we are. It's just not one flavor of sin. It's everything within us. Because we are in rebellion to a holy God. 
And so everything within it's the core, it's the very nature. That's why God is, that's why I keep telling you. That's why you have to see yourself as an enemy of God before coming to God. <laughs> because you're not going to understand the fullness of what God did for you. And the love and the love and the love that He has for you. Like all my life I was told how God hated me. I've told you this before. That's all I heard my whole life. And yet God was pleased to reveal himself to me as he is with you and any other sinner. Because of his great love. And yet, what does the world do? What does the religious system do about God's love? They just flaunt it out like as if it's nothing. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And I've said this over and over to you all. In hopes to you would be equipped to get out there and just share the gospel. Listen, God's love is not salvation. If all we needed was God's love to be saved, then he would not have sent Jesus. It is because of God's love that he sent his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I told you, a lot of people, yet they've been lulled asleep with God's love, and it's been so, like, common, they don't understand the fullness of it, because they're quick to say, God loves me. Who are you to judge me? I know God loves me. Go further with them. You know how to provoke a fight? You say, wow, so you have an understanding, but do you know what God did because of his love for you? See, we got to get people to Jesus. Because Jesus says, I'm the only way. The truth in life. I'm the only way to the Father. That's why I told you before, I exposed the lie that we all hear and the world believes we're all God's children. People will tell you that. I'm God's child. We're God's children. No, unless you've been born again. If you're not born again, if you're not of a new nature, you're still a child of the devil. I mean, Jesus himself tells us that. He looked at the church in his day, and as we heard on Friday night, and if you heard multiple times here, he looks at the men of God at that day and of the centuries and says, you travel far to win converts, but you make them twice as much the son of hell as you are. We have to wake up to the reality. And so when we come together and we're living in this new community, listen, we're all coming from brokenness. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that you would ever bring out into the light that we would shriek back from and be like, oh, wow, you, look at you, what kind of... No, because it shouldn't affect us like that. Because we're called to bring things into the light. To expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. There's a safe place in which we created. And the church should create. To say, come in. Come in and come out of it. (laughs) Because it's only through Christ. It's only through Christ. Remember, Jesus says, peace I leave you. Peace I give you. And that peace, the meaning of it is nothing missing, nothing broken. Wholeness. 
wholeness. And that's why I ask you all constantly, are you living out of your brokenness still? Because I'm not sure why you are. And if you are, that's that's because you're not growing in your new identity in Christ. Because when you understand the wholeness, when you understand the peace that you have been given, you can walk upright in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. And you have the gospel message to give and to share others. All the people, different people I counsel from all walks of life. I always tell them, all I have is Jesus. I have nothing else for you. I can talk to you and encourage you if you don't want to hear about Jesus. You know, when Norma, years ago, when I had to set her out, I said, Norma, I can't treat you like a sister in Christ. I can't counsel you as if you're in the body. And you're denying Christ, so all I can tell you is, go be the best at what you're choosing to be. Because in the end, that's all you've got. In the end, that's it. Don't paint yourself as if you're on your way to heaven. The reality is, this is what you have. You're choosing the created over the creator. And so go be the best with the created. And praise be to God. She's back worshiping the creator. Hallelujah. Because listen, once you've tasted and seen that God is good, and you've seen Jesus work in your life, there's, I'm telling you, there's nothing out there that can compare. There's nothing out there. Oh, it may satisfy you for a moment. <laughs> but it'll never, never complete you. Only Christ can give you that wholeness, that peace, that it doesn't matter what's behind you because now you're his. You're his. So you ought not to be afraid. You ought not to be timid. You ought not to hide. I teach people all the time when I'm counseling them, expose your thoughts. Stop hiding them. Stop keeping them inside. Stop allowing them to define you. Because remember what the Word of God says, as you think, so you go. And we've got to encourage people to start thinking godly. How do we apply the Word? How do we live for Christ? How do we walk in the Spirit so that we won't gratify the desires of the flesh? There is a way in which we are called to live. Go to Proverbs 27, verse 17. Last scripture on community. Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Listen, this is the... This is so important that we grasp this and what it means to be in community and to truly have godly friends in our lives. Godly friends, that we're sharpening each other, that we're encouraging each other, that we're leaning on each other. But here's the key we're not dependent upon each other because we're dependent upon Christ. So we don't want it to warp into this weird codependent relationship. Because our dependence is upon Christ and Christ alone. But he calls us together. 
to be able to encourage, to edify, and to build each other up. And so we keep our eyes focused and fixed upon Christ. So I do pray that you're growing and that you're desiring to be among community, to be among the church, no matter where you're at in your walk, that you understand the importance to gather together and not to neglect it. The importance of why Jesus birthed the church. Because there's work to be done. All right, so this week's definition of a major theological term. So I started this a few weeks ago because I want to make sure you're getting the tools that you need in your own private study and your conversations with each other and discipling others that you're understanding really what has taken place through what Christ has accomplished for us. So I'm giving you these terms that maybe you've heard. They're thrown around, but do you really grasp them? Do you really understand them? I'm I'm, I'm hoping that these tools in which I'm giving you and sharing with you is provoking you to think. To think. And then not only to think, but to meditate upon it. To apply these truths to your life so that you can encourage others with the truth. So this week's term is justification. And here's the definition. Justification is is a legal action by which God declares the believer, oh God, get excited, to be freed from his guilt and made right before God's law. I keep encouraging over these past weeks, Listen, there's too many Christians who don't understand that he has removed the guilt from your life. Because it was placed upon Christ. That's why scripture can declare there is therefore no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. (laughs) But too many people are too comfortable in their misery. And then they're guilt and they're shamed and they're so burdened and heavy laden. But listen, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. There's a way, a way in which you're called to live. You are freed from the guilt and made right. Oh, let that sink in this week as you go out. You have been made right with God. You're no longer an enemy of God. So when the temptations come, when the desires flare up, you go, oh, no, wait a minute. Why would I trade my position for this? Why would I continue to go along with this thought when the Bible tells me to take every thought captive and bring it underneath his lordship? You see, there's a way to apply truth so that you are living out the newness of life. Listen, people who used to know me, when they see me now, they, like what? Like I remember. In fact, even when I talk about my old life, I'm talking to, about someone who's dead. He's like, that means dead to me. I remember. But he's been put in the grave. There's something new that comes forth. Like when you carry the knowledge that you've been made right with God. Not because of your good works. 
Not because how many times you stand in the ill, recite prayers, do this, do that, go to church, give the offering, pray a little prayer, do all of this weird stuff that people do. Yeah. has nothing to do with that. You're trying to reach God. And in your efforts, you can never reach God. No, God came down and reached you. Because he understood our condition. But the understanding that you have been made right. It goes on. Unlike regeneration, it does not change the soul of a believer. Justification alters the the believer's legal position before God. Changing it from guilty to innocent. Justification is the outcome of atonement and the imputation of Jesus' righteousness to a believer. Listen, it's so good. Oh, God, I wish you could just take this. I I do hope you really are taking the notes when you get them. And you're sitting down with them. And you're studying and you're meditating. You're praying, God, I want to know. I want to believe. Like, God, I hear, but... God, that doesn't impact me like it looks like it's impacting others. God, I want it to impact me. (laughs) Like if you seek him, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart. This isn't just for a few in the church. This is for everyone. All who would come to Christ. All right, so we have some scriptures to look at. And these these scriptures are again... Or another tool that I'm giving you because these scriptures summarizes what God had to do for a sinner in order to make him a Christian. So let's hear this. First John is where we're heading. First John chapter three. I don't know what other churches are doing this morning, but listen, I told you all a few weeks ago, you all should be the most equipped Christians out in Orlando. And if you're not, something's wrong. Something is wrong. You all have so much given for you to take and allow the Holy Spirit to produce in your life if you're sitting down taking the time, living a disciplined life, to, to, to meditate upon and to seek Him and to apply these truths. So that others are going, what is, what is it about you? Jesus. Jesus. I mean, you've given so many tools. First <laughs> John chapter 3, verse 1. Again, scriptures to summarize what God had to do for a sinner in order for them to become a Christian. See how very much our Father loves us? Now get that. He loves you, yet though you're still in rebellion towards Him. He doesn't love you because you do good works. No, God already loves you. But remember, because of His love, He sent His one and only Son that if you would believe in him, you'll have eternal life. That you would confess that Jesus is Lord. And that he was raised from the dead. You're a child of God, the Bible says. You have a confession, you have a belief. It alters your life. Because you're born again. You receive the Holy Spirit. He creates something within you. To draw you even more closer and closer and closer to him. Remember, you're not perfected until you're with him. But until then, we ought to be maturing. 
So you see how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children. Why? Because they do not know Him. They don't know Him. But you know Him. Man, that's enough to celebrate. That you know God. That God was pleased to reveal Himself to you. And you've responded. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 19. Ephesians 2 verse 19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. How about that? You are members of God's family. That was Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. You're no longer strangers and foreigners. If you've come to Christ, if you've accepted Christ, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. Holy people. You're members of God's family. This is what God has done. Not because of anything you've done, because He's a good God. He's a loving God. That's why at the end, when His wrath is unleashed, and those who have denied Him and turned from Him and living for themselves, they justly deserve what they get. He's a just God. That's why I tell you, when people love to come toe-to-toe with you, if you're out there witnessing, (laughs) love to come toe-to-toe with you. How can a loving God do that? How can He not? You alone asking that question, I tell them, shows me that you really don't understand or even having the slightest knowledge of the character of God. Because once you know him and the love of God, oh, you'll understand the wrath of God. You understand the wrath of God. You understand what's going to be poured out upon this earth and upon people who have denied him. If you really can grasp that, then think of Jesus because he took it for you. That's why he went to the cross. Do you understand what was laid upon him that Jesus the Son of God would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Understand what he took for you. And yet you want to just live however you want. Call his name, trample his blood underneath your feet. (laughs) What are we doing? And yet we're reminded of how great his love is towards us. That if we are in Christ, if we believe, it doesn't mean you're perfect, but it does mean you're growing, especially if you're calling him Father. If if, if you're saying his name, then live as such, you all. Listen, I know we're living in a day and age. It's It's harder and harder. 
and the Christians are we're going to be pushed out of society. But we ought not to fret. We ought not to be shocked by it. Because we're told it's going to happen. But who's preparing us? That's the church's position. We're to be preparing the saints for what's to come. We're going to have to endure. We were talking the other day, even the prophets of the Old Testament, they knew judgment was coming. (laughs) And not only was it coming for the wicked, oh, you're going to endure, Isaiah. You're going to endure, Jeremiah. (laughs) They had to suffer right alongside. And as we're going in to suffer right alongside, we ought not to look like them. Because in our suffering, we'll praise Him. And right. our lack, He will provide. And right. our sickness, He will heal. I see, there's a way in which we're called to live. And to honor Christ. And to train up a younger generation to love their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. <clears throat> Finally, go to Titus chapter 2. Again, these scriptures summarize what God must or has accomplished for a sinner in order for them to be a Christian. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. He gave his life, oh God, to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and make us his very own people. Oh God, totally committed to doing good deeds. Would you just take that this week? Stand in the mirror and say it out loud. Does it resonate within you? Like, do you understand? We've got to stop making excuses. We got to just stop going over the same cycle of sin and brokenness over and over and over and over. And I do it because you just don't know what my life is like. Oh, yes, I do. You're a sinner. And you're acting in rebellion to a holy God who's revealed himself to you. <laughs> what else do I need to know? I don't make trivial, I don't trivialize what people go through, but the reality is. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. And not only did he stop there, but to cleanse us and make us his own, his very own people. Totally committed. Totally committed. Are you committed? Totally. Not just when you're sitting here on Sundays. (laughs) But totally committed to doing good deeds. To doing good deeds. Listen, I'm not telling you the Christian life is easy. I'm not telling you, poof, you're a Christian and every day you get up, you're going to serve faithfully. No, you got everything warring against you for you not to. And that's why you don't do it in your own strength. You have to apply these truths. To say when that lie wants to come out of your mouth, you go, oh, mm, no. That's how I used to live. When you want to manipulate, you want to control. No, no, you learn to release. You learn to take a step back. When the lust burns, you go, oh no. 
learn to flee from it, to run away from it. There's a way in which we're called to live, but all but what are we showing people? There is a way in which we can live victorious. We talk more about our sin and our struggle and how much we're defeated and controlled by it than we talk about the God who's delivered us from it. Why are we making a mockery of Him? Yet the struggle may be real, but Christ is victorious. So get your eyes off your struggle and get them on Christ. Get along, brothers and sisters, who are going to encourage you and edify you instead of pulling back and shrinking back and locking yourself up. Oh, I'm a bad Christian. And you play these weird games that keeps you enslaved. And somehow you think that's pleasing to God. No. You're making a mockery of Him and you're grieving the Holy Spirit. See, there's a way in which we're called to live. And it's to honor God. Totally committed to doing good deeds. Totally committed. God, whatever you have. And it can't be now, and then when you get the phone call an hour from now, all of a sudden, he's not God. My whole world's falling apart. Why so easily? Doesn't mean you won't go and feel everything that'll happen. But all of that that's happening and trying to bubble up in you doesn't have to define you. Because you know you're God. You know you're God. I'll never forget that testimony from the preacher's wife in Columbia. They, those drug people, they shot that preacher dead in front of his two little girls. And by the time that mother showed up on the scene and she went and she looked and kneeled over her lifeless husband, she placed her hand upon him and said, it is well with my soul. What? What? And she impacted that neighborhood and gang members and all those people started coming to Christ. And a huge revival years later began to happen because of what she planted. Did she not grieve? Of course she grieved. Did she not mourn? Of course she mourned. Did she not miss and, 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 and just... And, Like, oh, where's my husband? Yes, she went through all of that. (laughs) But what kept her was the God in whom she is called upon to see her through it. See, God is greater, you all, than all this trivial stuff that keeps trying to bide for our attention. Like, there's a way in which we are called to live, you all. The final tool that I'm going to share with y'all is the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a teaching that the church used years ago. It was written to, and to equip the church to defend the faith. So we're on Lord's Day 37, and we're talking through, we've started talking through the Ten Commandments. So question 101. Again, you get the question, you get the answers, and the answers are all scriptures. You get the scriptural reference to go back and study through all of them. And I pray that you are. But here's the question. Because we started talking about using God's name in vain. And so question 101. 
And maybe if, maybe an unbeliever, even a believer, they're not going to come and maybe give you this exact question. But they may give you something similar, and you should, be know, how to, you should know how to respond. Instead of pointing them to others, like you should be equipped to be able to respond. So here's the question. But may we swear an oath in God's name if we do it reverently? The answer, yes. When the government demands it or when necessity requires it in order, in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our neighbor's good. Such oaths are grounded in God's word and were rightly used by the people of God in the Old and New Testaments. There's a lot of scripture that you can take and read and understand that. Question 102. May we also swear by saints and other creatures? No. A legitimate oath means calling upon God as the only one who knows my heart to witness to my truthfulness and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor. Those are your two questions from the catechism this week. Do you pray you go, you study that, and you understand it? Okay, what time is it? 10 to noon. All right, let's go to 2 Kings. We're going to walk through Scripture. And you say, but man, we've been in Scripture. Oh, but now we're walking through Scripture in hopes to know our God. 2 Kings chapter 22. We've been on a study and a journey through Scripture to know our God. We go through the Old Testament. We go through a little of the New Testament. We're back in Psalms. We finished Psalms, but today we're going to pick back up in Psalms 1. And then I end with Proverbs for you. Two nuggets of wisdom. But today we're picking up in chapter 22 of 2 Kings, and we're starting at verse 3. Now, as you understand what we've been learning... (laughs) is that God has pulled a people out for himself. Israel. He is their God. They are to worship him and him alone. He gave them the commandments. He led them through. He delivered them. And then at some point they began to demand a king because they want to be like the other nations. They gave him a king. The choice, the people's choice. God appointed what the people wanted. All along, God had a king that was coming. His name was David. He ultimately showed up on the scene. The point of pulling Israel out was ultimately for the Messiah to come in. It was established back in Genesis after the fall. When God spoke to the enemy and said, there will come one who will crush your head. That's Jesus. And so that's why as you're reading through the Old Testament, it points to Jesus. And as we read in 2 Corinthians a few weeks ago, how important the Old Testament is to believers today. Even though there are churches in our generation that says you don't need the Old Testament. That alone right there is demonic. Because we read scripture in 2 Corinthians where it tells you why you need the Old Testament. It is a warning. You remember we read that the other week? It is a warning for those who are living in the in times. And we want to do away with it? Oh no. There's so much that we need to glean from it. So, kings have been appointed ever since David. Some good, some bad. 
We've seen wicked. We've seen good ones. But all along, God's people have been scattered. They split. The northern kingdom, you have the southern kingdom. We already read that the northern kingdom, they've been conquered. The southern kingdom is somewhat thriving. (laughs) But today we pick up to talk about King Josiah. He was a righteous king. Verse 3, in the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent Sedban and Aziliah, the grandson of Mesulamam, to the court secretary, to the temple of the Lord. He told them, go to Hakiah, the high priest, and have him count the money the gatekeepers have collected from the people at the Lord's temple. And trust this money to the men assigned to supervise the temple's, look at this, restoration. He's restoring the temple of God. Then they came, I'm sorry, then they can use it to pay workers to repair the temple of the Lord. They will need to hire carpenters, builders, and masons. Also have them buy the timber and finished stone needed to repair the temple. But don't require the construction supervisors to keep account of the money they receive, for they are honest and trustworthy men. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Saphan, the court secretary, O God, perk up, listen to this. I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hakiah gave the scroll to Saphan, and he read it. They have found the book of the law. Some commentaries believe it's the book of Deuteronomy. Why hasn't, why hasn't the book of the law been out for the priest and the temple and the people of Israel and the king of, of Israel or Judah? And that just goes to show you, when you neglect the word of God... When you don't have the word out, don't expect your lives to honor Christ. Don't expect it. Without the law, without the book, these people, what did they give themselves over to? They had no instruction. They kept looking at other nations and saying, well, they get away with it. We want to be like them. We want to worship their gods. We want to give in to this and to that. They had no restraint over their lives. Saphan went to the king and reported, Your officials have turned over the money collected at the temple of the Lord to, to, to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Saphan also told the king, Hokiah, the priest, has given me a scroll. Like he doesn't even understand what he's holding in his hands. So Saphan read it to the king. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair, a sign of repentance. Could you imagine? Understand the culture that they were living in. It's loose. I mean, they just came from the one king where everything was allowed. Shrines were being built up to other gods. They're giving themselves over to anything and everything. And now this new king, Josiah, who has an ear tinted to the leading of the Lord, all of a sudden, the, the, the book of the law has been found. It's being now read over him. And he's realizing, oh, God. And he tears his clothes in despair. And then you have to ask yourself, will you hear the word of God? 
and you realize <coughs> you're not following it, that it's not impacting your life, that it's not transforming you. I mean, how when you get up from here, or when you listen to it anywhere else, <laughs> like it's a mirror. It reveals the areas of your life. And you ought not run from it or close it, but you ought to seek God in the midst of it and say, God, I want all of you. You're gracious enough to reveal that this is still in my life. And God, I'm sorry. Remember, it's this loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Then he gave these orders to Hakiah, the priest, Anakin, the son of Saphon, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Saphon, the court secretary, and Isaiah, the king's personal advisors. Listen to this. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for the people of all, for all Judah. Inquire about the words written in the scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger, O God, hear what he's understanding. For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll. We have not been doing everything. Everything. It says we must do. So the Hakilah, the priest, Anakin, Akbor, and Saphon, and Avasiah went to the new quarter of Jerusalem to consult with the prophet Holda. She was the wife of Shomon, son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, and the keeper of the temple wardrobe. She said to them, The Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Go back and tell the man who sent you. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this city and its people. All the words written in the scroll that the king of Judah has read will come true. For my people, listen to this. It wasn't God who abandons us. Listen. For my people have abandoned me and offered sacrifices to pagan gods. And I'm very angry with them for everything they have done. My anger will burn against this place and it will not be quenched. But go to the king of Judah who sent you to seek the Lord and tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the message you have just heard. You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what was said against the city and its people. That this land would be cursed and would become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. And I have indeed heard you says the Lord. I keep telling you, highlight that, circle that. When you hear that the Lord says he's heard their prayers. <laughs> he's not a respecter of person. If he heard them, guess what? He'll hear, he'll, he will hear yours. And I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send the punishment disaster until you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on this city. So take her message back. So they took her message back to the king. Listen, there's nothing that's going to stop what the Lord has already purposed. Yes, can he be gracious and merciful and hold it all for a period of time? Sure, that's what he's just about to do for Josiah. You're not going to, you're not going to see this. You will die and go in peace. But nothing is going to stop what I'm bringing. 
And just as they experience ultimately what this earth is going to experience, no man has experienced yet, but it's being stored up. And that's why we must be passionate enough to love others, to go out there and tell them there is freedom. There is hope. There is a God who loves you and a God who desires you to know him and to love him, to serve him, to honor him. Come out from your sin and come into Christ. Come into Christ. Then the king, chapter 23, summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah, all of them, and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. There the king, look at this, I love this. I tell you when I first read it a couple weeks ago, because you didn't get to it last week, like I just sat there just weeping. I'm like, God, what a beautiful sight. He had them all. They had never heard the book of the law. You would have thought they were being brought up with it. There the king read the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority besides the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all of his commands, laws, and decree with all of his heart and soul. And this way he confirmed all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll and all the people. And all the people there that day pledged themselves to this covenant. Then the king instructed Hekiah, the high priest, and the, and, and the priests of the second rank and the temple gatekeepers to remove, to, to remove from the Lord's temple all of the articles that were used to worship Baal. Mm-hmm. Oh, for God's sake, did you just hear that? This, these worships of idols were in the Lord's temple. So Josiah knows what needs to be done now. We need to cleanse house. We need to tear down. We need to get rid of what we've given ourselves to. And listen, that's what should be happening in our lives. Instead of trying to cling to everyone and anyone, everything and anything, we want to hold on to the past. But listen, there's nothing from your past that's godly. It's all been a facade to keep you deceived and in rebellion. But when you have been freed, when you have heard the word of the Lord, when you see how gracious and kind and loving the Lord God is to reveal himself to you through his son. (laughs) Oh, listen, and none of it worth it. Clean house and not just your physical house. But all of that junk that you've been carrying, all these soul ties that you're tied up with. And renounce it. Confess it. Get up from it. And say, no more, I'm not bowing down and worshiping it. Or worshiping them. Oh no. When you know that you know that you know. You won't settle any longer. The memories won't haunt you. (laughs) No. You'll understand that there is a way in which you are to live now. And it's for God. You may not know the fullness of it. But oh, your heart is renewed. And you're a child of God. And you will not settle. So he has them go into the temple. And removing the articles that were used to worship Baal. 
Asherah, and all the powers of the heavens. The king had all these burned outside Jerusalem on the terraces of the Kidron Valley, and he carried the ashes away to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priests who had been appointed by the previous kings of Judah, for they had offered sacrifice at the pagan shrines throughout Judah and even in the vicinity of Jerusalem. They had also offered sacrifices to Baal and to the sun, the moon, and the constellations, and all the powers of heaven. The king removed the Asherah poles from the Lord's temple and took it outside of Jerusalem to the Kidron Valley where he buried, burned it. Then he ground the ashes of the pole to dust and threw the dust over the graves of the people. Also, I'm sorry, he also tore down the living quarters of the male and female shrine prostitutes that were inside the temple of the Lord, Jesus, where the women wore wove coverings for the Asherah pole. Oh, the church needs to do some cleansing. We got to dry out the stuff that we've allowed in and have set up and worship instead of our God. Josiah brought to Jerusalem all the priests who were living in other towns of Judah. He also defiled the, the pagan shrines where they had offered sacrifices all the way from Geba to Beersheba. He destroyed the shrines at the entrance of the gates of, of Joshua, the governor of Jerusalem. This gate was located to the left of the city gate as it one enters the city. The priests who had served at the pagan shrines were not allowed to serve at the Lord's altar in Jerusalem, but they were allowed to eat unleavened bread with the other priests. Then the king defiled the altars of Toheth in the valley of Ben-Hinn, so no one could ever again use it to sacrifice a son or daughter in the fire as offering to Molech. This is what God's people were doing, you all. And we can't point fingers and go, oh, look how bad they are. No, point them back to us in our generation. What is the church doing? What have we allowed in that goes against the covenant of God that defiles his name, defiles his presence? We're making a mockery of him and grieving the Holy Spirit. When's the last time you've wept over what you've given yourself to this week? You shouldn't have touched that. You shouldn't have watched that. Not because you it's a law. It's that why are you? Why would you keep giving yourself over to the very things that are trapping you and deceiving you and lulling you to sleep? When there's work to be done for the kingdom of God. He removed from the entrance of the Lord's temple the horse statues that the former kings of Judah had declared undedicated <coughs> to the sun. They were near the quarters of Nathan Melech, the eunuch, and the officer of the court. The king also burned the chariots dedicated to the sun. And do you get, do you hear what's being said? What are they worshiping? The created. Go to Romans 1. I mean, not now, but sometime this week, go to Romans 1 and see that God just turns you over to it. Like apart from God, all you want is the created. You want the created to be your God. That's why we create little shrines. That's why we create this. We do that. We do this. We do that. We do that. And we give ourselves over to the created in hopes to be fulfilled. 
Do we not see how wicked and disturbed that is? Have our eyes not been peeled back and be like, what did I mean? Because I can tell you when it happened to me. Like, what have I been doing all my life? Like, oh, God. Like, Jesus, I am so sorry. I didn't make excuses. No, I knew. Like, oh, why have I been putting my hope in relationships one after the other, after the other, after the other? Why have I put my hope in my desires? Or why have I put my hope in this or that? Or why have I been worshiping this way? It never has done anything for me. It's a lesser power. Oh, God, in and of myself, in and of yourself, you wouldn't come to knowledge of that. It's because God is pleased to reveal himself to you. And that's the, that's the proper response that each of us should have. And if you, haven't, if you haven't responded that way, something's wrong with your Christianity. <clears throat> and you ought to seek the Lord while he may be found. Because yet he's given you another opportunity to know him. Josiah tore down the altars the kings of Judah have built on the palace roof above the upper room of Ahaz. The king destroyed the altars of Manasseh had built in the two courtyards of the Lord's temple. He smashed them to bits and scattered the pieces in the Kidron Valley. The king also desecrated the pagan shrines east of Jerusalem to the south of Mount of Corruption, where King Solomon of Israel had built shrines from Ashtoreth, the detestable goddess of the Sidonians. And for Chemosh, the detestable god of the Moabites, and for Molech, the vile god of the Ammonites. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. Then he desecrated these places by scattering human bones over them. The king also tore down the altar at Bethel, the pagan shrine that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had made when he caused Israel to sin. He burned down the shrine and ground it to dust, and he burned down, I mean, he burned the Asherah pole. Then Josiah turned around and noticed several tombs in the side of the hill. He ordered that the bones be brought out, <laughs> and he burned the, them on the altar at Bethel to desecrate it. This happened just as the Lord had promised through the man of God when Jeroboam stood beside the altar at the festival. Then Josiah turned and looked up at the tomb of the man of God who had been who predicted all these things. What is that monument over there? Josiah asked. And the people of the town told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted the very things that you have done to the altar at Bethel. Josiah replied, Leave it alone. Don't disturb his bones. So they did not burn his bones or those of the old prophet from Samaria. Then Josiah demolished all the buildings at the pagan shrines in the town of Samaria, just as he had done from Bethel. They had been built by the various kings of Israel and made huh, the Lord very angry. He executed the priests of the pagan shrines on the altars, and he burned human bones on the altars to desecrate them. Finally, he returned to Jerusalem. Josiah, why so radical? Calm down, Josiah. Not everything's spiritual. Not everything's about God's way, Josiah. That's what people will tell you. Slow down. Don't become all holy. 
relax. Oh, you really don't have to give up that. No, it's okay. God understands you. You're making us all uncomfortable. Like, what? What? I'll never forget these two women I met. When I first came to Christ, it's the first period, you know. And she, they stopped me and they said, listen, all the zeal you have for God is nice because you're new. But it'll fade away. You'll calm down once in, in a little while. I remember looking at them saying, are you serious? I said, oh, I hope I pray I never calm down. In fact, I hope I pray the zeal is continuing Burning within me. I'm like, what kind of nonsense? Intercessors. They dare to call themselves intercessors. What kind of craziness? No, this is a radical transformation, you all. It's a radical transformation that takes place in your life. You don't like what you used to like. You don't give yourself over to what you did. You don't keep thinking the same pattern, the same thoughts. Like when Christ invades, when you open up to him, when you receive him completely, you're transformed into the kingdom of light. Darkness cannot remain. So keep laughing along with it. Keep being entertained by it. Keep giving yourself over to it because it's really not going to hurt, is it? Keep going back to that old relationship. <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing. And remember in the book of Psalms when he says, you think my silence I was approving of you? No. No, and this is God speaking to his people. Oh no. I'm coming for you. And I'm going to tear you apart with my own hands. That's God. And we want to keep playing and giving these soft little messages to people on Sunday mornings. No, preach what we want to hear, Rob. All this stuff, it's a bit too much. You're never going to draw the crowds. Listen, I had a chance to be the next big TBN star. But God knocked me off my horse and said, no, that's not what I have for you. I'm not going to put on a show for you. This is the Word of God. And I take people's eternities very serious. You ought to take people's eternities very serious and stop being so concerned with their temporalness of life. Because they could drop dead today and then you're going to be all sobbing all over them pretending like they're in heaven. Somehow we've conjured up a, a, a gospel that everyone's in heaven. Well, I'm going to see them again because God promises. Who? Huh. That's why the church isn't active. Because everyone's going to heaven. We've got to wake up. This king responded as he should. Tear down all that stuff. What have we done? We have abandoned the Lord. 
We need to return. We need to return. And then it goes into the next portion at verse 21. King Josiah then issued this order to all people. You must celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as required in the book of the covenant. They had not, oh my God, you, how can this be with God's people? There had not been a Passover celebration like that since the time when the judges ruled in Israel, nor throughout all the years of the kings of Israel and Judah. They stopped worshiping. This Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem in the 18th year of King Josiah's reign. Josiah also got rid of the mediums and the psychics and the household gods, the idols, and every other kind of detestable practice, both in Jerusalem and throughout the land of Judah. He did this in obedience to the laws written in the scroll that Hakeliah the priest had found in the Lord's temple. Never before had there been a king like Josiah, who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. And there has never been a king like him since. Even so, the Lord was very angry with Judah because all of the wicked things Manasseh had done to provoke him. For the Lord said, I will also banish Judah from my presence, just as I have banished Israel. And I will reject my chosen city of Jerusalem and the temple where my name was to be honored. The rest of the events of Josiah's reigns and all all his deeds are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. While Josiah was king, Pharaoh Necho, of, of, of king of Egypt, went to Euphrates River to help the king of Assyria. King Josiah and his army marched out to fight him, but King Necho killed him when they met at Megiddo. Josiah's officers took his body back in a chariot from Megiddo to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. Then the people of the land anointed Josiah's son, Jehoaz, and made him the next king. God's wrath is about to be unleashed. Listen. And do not take the reading of the word and what we just heard regarding Josiah lightly. When the Lord God is pleased to reveal himself to you, there is a response in which you have. That is to receive this free gift of salvation. You are a new creation. You've been born again. It's just that your name is down in the book, in the church office. <laughs> but is your name really written down in the Lamb's book of life in heaven? Have you been born again? It's exciting to be a Christian. It's exciting to be able to stand with the assurance that my God is for me and not against me. It's exciting to know that you can live a full life. He has hope for you no matter what you're going through today. That baby in the manger became the man on the cross who then was resurrected from the tomb. He's God in the flesh to redeem a people who would live for eternity with Him, to rule and to reign in heaven for all eternity. He has what you need for the issues that you have. Your anger, your lust, your confusion... 
you're backbiting, you're gossiping. The very nature that is at war with him, he has what you need to be freed from it. To be freed from it. Like people from my old life back in the days, 25 some odd years ago, like when I first came back around Orlando, they didn't know what to do. Even Gilda looked at me like I was a nut when I was sharing with her. People didn't know, okay, he's just on to another religion. Oh, that's not going to last. And everyone's been waiting for him to turn. He's gay. He's homosexual. He's always going to be. He was a backbiter. He was a gossiper. He was this. He was that. Everyone's waiting. And I told you years ago, when I threw my hands up at God and I said, I don't want this anymore. This walk with you is a bit too much. I'm tired of what I had to endure for your name. Oh, I was real with God. And so I will make my way out. So I started planning, preparing to make my exit. And then God gripped my very being and said, what are you doing? What are you doing living? And I remember crying out to him, boy, what they done, boy, boy, boy. All I hear is you. You're a dead man. Look at me. I am your God. <laughs> oh, God. Listen, where can you go when you know the Lord? Why, what's back there that I want? Who's back there that I want? No. Just as he looked at the twelve when the thousands left him, are you leaving too? And they said, where can we go? You hold the words to eternal life. Have you gotten there yet? Are you there yet? And if not, would you get discipled? Would you know your God? Would you just be vulnerable before Him and before others? And say, I just want to hunger for Jesus. Because those are the people I'm looking for to do life with in this upcoming year. I'm asking God for an increase. I want to see revival. I want to see people hunger for the things of God. Thirsting for righteousness. God, we can't go any further without You. We need Your presence. Fill us with a hunger and a thirst for righteousness for your name's sake. Where can we go, God? You hold the words to eternal life. That we can then go out and impact our city. We can't go tear down things that don't belong to us. So stop telling other people how to live for the kingdom when they don't know the king. Stop demanding them to live a godly life when they don't even know God. Stop yelling and screaming at everyone else that's not part of our community. They're not our enemies. we got to start raising up the standard among us. 
And we got to start tearing things down. Mental strongholds. That we've allowed. We can't blame our mama, our daddy, our brothers, our sisters, our grandparents, our, our bosses, or anyone else. The problem is you. It's me, myself, and I. And there's things that have got to start being torn down. And you ought to start learning how to do it. Because the Bible says he's given us everything we need. He's given us the weapons of our warfare to demolish strongholds. Are you living as a Christian? Do you understand what it means to war in the spirit? Because if not, would you just come spend time and learn how to put this into practice? Go to Acts chapter 21. About to close, about to wrap up. Acts chapter 21. Verse 37. Now we're going to read through 22 verse 16. Acts 21 verse 37. Last time we were in Acts, remember Paul? (laughs) He was arrested. They were beating him to the point of death. Remember the guards? Roman guards had to pick him up and carry him. And they were shouting, Kill him! Kill him! Verse 37, As Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, May I have a word with you? Do you know Greek? The commander asked, surprised. Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert? No, Paul replied. I am a Jew, a citizen of Tarsus of Sicilia, which is an important city. Please, let me talk to these people. The commander agreed, so Paul stood on the stairs and motioned the people to be quiet. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd And he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. Now listen, let's not read this like it's a nice little story. Or these are events that haven't happened. These these are actual events. And please don't forget that Paul was just severely beaten by a crowd of people who wanted him dead. Do you see his response? Can I speak with him? And what do you do when someone says something bad about you? Someone steps on your toes. Oh, we're so quick to demand our rights. Paul saw beyond what they were doing to him. Why? Because he was already informed. Hey, Paul, if they hated me, if they wanted me dead, you represent me. Guess what, Paul? They're going to want you dead. And remember we read chapters back? Remember all the Christians, they were crying, Oh, Paul, please don't go to Jerusalem. Please don't go to Jerusalem. They're going to beat you. They're going to kill you, Paul. Remember that? Mm -hmm. But the Holy Spirit already told Paul, this is what you're going to go through. See, we got to stop making our Christian walk so comfy. And then get all out of sorts when people respond in a way that's not pleasing to us. Utilize every opportunity you have to share the gospel. Well, they don't want to listen. I've tried. No, no, no. Maybe that's been the problem. You trying. 
I tell people all the time when I counsel them, whenever I hear them, I did, I, I tried, I, I'm trying. That's the problem. You're trying. Let Christ in. Get out of his way. Paul, don't miss what's happening here. What's being read to us. He would have every right to say, God, send fire down on them. Burn the hell out of them. Strike them dead, Lord. Look what they just did to me. But that would have been not of God. That would have been his anger, his response. What's God's response? Those people that are rejecting God, God desires for them to know truth. To have a moment to come to Christ. Brothers and esteemed fathers. Listen to the words he's speaking to them. Notice this angry mob now. A hush has fallen over. Listen. He didn't curse them. He didn't say, how dare you lay hands on me? I didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. He could have stood there and and just let into them. But that would have provoked even more craziness. He tells them, brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in the city of Sicilia. And I was brought up, educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel as his student. I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the Christians from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene. The one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the great light, or saw the light, but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, What should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, Get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And that very moment I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors, oh God, hear this. The God of our ancestors have chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. What are you waiting for? 
You're not in Christ. That's the question. Rather you're sitting here today or listening later on the podcast. What are you waiting for? The God of our ancestors. The God who spoke the earth and everything into an existence. Has chosen you. Just as he chose Paul, he chose you. God, would that just sink in to our hearts? So get up. Be baptized. Be cleansed. And do the will of your Father, you all. Psalm 1. Jesus, Jesus. We're back. Again, the book of Psalms encourages to look up. You're going to go through life. You've heard me say this as we studied through and finished the book of Psalms. These psalmists were transparent. But one thing they knew is their God. Oh, they told you about their circumstances and their situations and everything that they were going through. But they always looked up. There's lessons that we can learn from the psalmist. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Or stand around with sinners. Oh, whose company are you all keeping? (laughs) Or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Really, that's what I do now? Yes. Yes. Why would you want to go back and be around all the filth and all the craziness? Why do you want to act like them when you've been called out from among them? Listen to this. For those who delight in the law of the Lord, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never never wither, and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind, They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly. We'll take that to heart today, Christian. But not the path of the wicked. I'm sorry, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Take heart in that, those who are not in Christ. See, as I said last week, Either salvation or damnation. That's what's laid before you. That's why the response to Christ is not trivial. Bow your head, say a little prayer. Boom, poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Come on, we got to really understand. The call to Christ. Don't come unless you consider the cost. Don't come with your own terms. No, you come to Christ. You run to Christ. You cling to Christ. Because you see how wicked you are. You see the sinner you are. You see the enemy that you are to his throne. And in realizing that, you see his great love that says, I will receive you as my own. If you would just receive this free gift that I'm giving you. Come 
to me, he says, and I will give you rest. I will be your God and you will be my people. Don't wait for heaven to experience that. You ought to be living it now. Proverbs 18. Yes, we're coming to an end. Proverbs 18, verse, two verses, 11 and 12. Two nuggets of wisdom for you to meditate upon. Proverbs 18, verse 11 and 12. The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. <laughs> Haughtiness goes before destruction. Humility precedes honor. Oh, there is a way in which we are called to live. Let us look upon Christ, you all, and allow Him to be the one who is working His plan and His purpose in us and through us for ultimately for the glory of our God. I'm going to close this with a song of worship, and then I'll close this in prayer. Oh, come let 